0: Notice that when it starts to get, uh, when the weather starts to get bad, uh, people forget that we have church inside, um, and we just take that as it comes. Uh, People have got, I I think everybody assumes that if it's raining, we're going to have church in the parking lot, or if it's cold, we're just going to open up all the doors and everything, and uh, nobody's ever bothered to check and find out that we're actually indoors with central air and heating and all kinds of things. So I'm glad that all of you are here this morning to enjoy our creature comforts and uh, that you uh, can really enjoy that. If you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, we're going to read the first eight verses of this text uh, today, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, as we pick up our series, continuing our series, The Extraordinary Ordinary Christian Life. Uh, a projector. I think I need to buy a new bulb for it because it's pretty washed out. It's kind of hard to read. Um, but right now I'm spending all of our money on light bulbs in the front, a can lights and stuff. So the projector is just going to have to tough it out. And I'll tell you what it says. The extraordinary, ordinary Christian life. We've been studying this for some time now, a little before Christmas. And now, and what we've seen is that Every Christian has the opportunity to live an extraordinary life. I'll remind you of the story that we started with uh, way back when we first started this series was we looked at the life of William Borden. You remember William Borden was the heir to the Borden fortune. Um, you best know the Borden fortune because of the milk, but it was a massive empire at the time. He was able to go to Harvard. Um, and uh, graduate at the top of his class and then went to Yale and then felt the call of God on his life to become a missionary to the people in um, China, in the, the well, the, close to Russia, up in northern China. And uh, there was a group of Muslims up there and he decided that he was going to make it his life's calling to go and reach those Muslims with the gospel. So he uh, was deeply opposed and you remember he wrote in his Bible, uh, when his father told him, if you're going to go down this path, don't ever expect to get a job with me if you're throwing away all these opportunities. And he wrote uh, in the margin of his Bible, the date and no reserves, no reservations. He um, went a little farther in his life, and when he found out that people were talking about all the things that he was throwing away when he went to language school, he went to the Middle East to go to language school, and when he got word that everybody was saying what a brilliant mind, what talent he was throwing away, he wrote in his Bible, no retreats. And then when he never made it to China, because he caught, I think it was malaria, and died in the Middle East... He wrote in the margin of his Bible, no regrets. (laughs) You understand? You say, what kind of a man could give up everything, think he's got a goal, not reach it, and then say, no reservations, no retreats, no regrets? On his epitaph, it said, apart from faith in God, there is no explanation for such a life. Now, here's what I want to tell you is that the power that William that uh, William Borden had, the power that he had to do the extraordinary is the same power that you have. You don't have to go to China or the Middle East or anything to live an extraordinary life. Every Christian has the power to do things that are mind boggling. When the first thing that we looked at when we studied this is that every Christian has the power to worship God. That means that the God of the universe welcomes intimacy with you. Now, the President of the United States does not welcome intimacy with you, right? There are people that uh, make more money in a day than you make in a year that if you tried to go and beat down the door of their mansion, you would not be welcome in. You have the opportunity to worship God. You have the opportunity to uh, learn. (laughs) And you say, well, that's what what a privilege there, learning. But God has recorded his thoughts and has allowed you to learn them. And we've looked at that from two different perspectives. One, corporately, we come together to learn and do individually. Last week, we talked about the importance of personal Bible study. You, as an individual, extraordinary, ordinary Christian, have the power to serve. You know, You've all heard the quote: "Why is a commission from a heavenly king an honor, and a commission from an earthly king an honor, and a commission from a heavenly king a sacrifice?" You see, God says, "I want to use you to accomplish my purposes." God doesn't need you, right? I don't know about the God that you think that you worship, but the true and the living God spoke, and the world was right. You know, He doesn't need you, but He says, "I want to give you the honor of working alongside me." And he gave you a gift to do that, and you can use that for the building up of the body, for the perfecting of the saints. What a marvelous thing. And now today, when we come in, it just gets even better. Today, what we're going to talk about is the extraordinary, ordinary Christian can pray. Let me tell you, there is no tool in your spiritual arsenal that is more neglected or more powerful than the power of prayer. (laughs) You know, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Martin Luther said that he took two to three hours every morning to pray because he had so much to do. You think about that for a minute. Do you believe that God can do more in less time than you could do in more time? Well, absolutely. So why don't you pray? (laughs) You know, if I say, Abraham Lincoln was famous for saying, you know, if he had two hours, or if he had, I don't don't remember the thing, six hours to chop down a tree, he would spend five hours sharpening the ax. Now, you go and you face a problem, and you come before God, right? And you say, Lord, I really need your help for this. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And then you spend the rest of the day trying to do it yourself and forget about God. You know, if you have the power to call down the air support, (laughs) why wouldn't we do that? So today, we are going to spend some time looking in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, where Jesus is going to teach us in a parable some very important lessons about prayer. We're going to read the text straight through, and then we will go back and look at it piece by piece. And he, Jesus, spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nonetheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the privilege of learning and studying and worshiping and serving. But today, Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of prayer, that we are not like a a widow who has to go and beat and beg and plead, Lord, trying to force someone into doing the right thing but that we are able, like children, to run into the arms of our Heavenly Father and pour out all of our concerns. I just ask now that as we study this passage, that you would help us to see the truths of how to pray, the truths of what we have in prayer, that we would be motivated not to be smarter sinners, but more like the Savior, that we would pour out our heart to you every day. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is very simple, parable. Uh, parables are, of course, a, a story that has a point, something that's designed to teach you. And in this parable, we've got two characters. We've got a judge and we've got a widow. Now, in the first century, when Jesus was giving this parable, a widow was among the most vulnerable members of society. In fact, there was a Jewish uh, legal custom at the time that said that orphans and widows got to cut in line in court cases. So let's say that you are suing somebody and I'm suing somebody, and then there's a widow that's suing somebody, and we filed our cases in that order, the judge would take care of the widow's case first because she was in need. That's drawn from a biblical principle. That law is not spelled out in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, it talks about if you have a workman and he gives you his coat as pledge, you have to give him his coat back before nightfall. You're not going to let him go cold from what he needs. And this widow can't afford to wait. And so it was, a, it was the law at the time that you would give preference to those, to the weak and the vulnerable, right? Uh, that is somewhat different than today, isn't it? Uh, today... It seems like in our, in our justice system, a lot of the times, you can do anything as long as you've got enough money to hire the right lawyer to get by with it. I've told you before about um, one of my friends uh, who's a police officer here who um, said that he got so discouraged uh, writing DUI tickets because of the outlandish defenses that people would get by with when they had a high-powered enough lawyer. He talked about one thing where there was uh, uh, somebody he pulled over that was literally falling over drunk, and they had the breathalyzer and everything. And he hired a high-powered lawyer, and that lawyer convinced enough people on the jury that it was just very windy, and the breathalyzer could not be relied on. (laughs) Now, if somebody with a more modest income had tried that defense... It would not have been as successful, but you get a a high-powered lawyer in there to get things done. Just like in the ancient world, judges were often bribed and all, you know, there was always this pressure. And so here, God uses as a metaphor of prayer, he uses someone who is completely helpless. And he uses someone going toward a judge and not getting what they need. So hold that in mind. Just hold those brief characterizations in mind as we go back to verse 1. He spake unto them a parable to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, Jesus is not in favor of me having a lot of high drama in the sermon today, because he includes the meaning right at the front. He just front loads it all. He says, look, Luke says, there's about to be a parable here, and the meaning of the parable is this, that you should always pray and not faint, not lose heart, not give up. Now, uh, I've read, it's possible to translate this verse that men ought always to pray or faint. Like, you've got two options. (laughs) You can either pray or you can lose heart and collapse. Now, have you ever lost heart? Most of us have, right? You're trying and you're doing your best and you just think, okay, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And, uh, you know, it's still the new year, and it's it's close enough to the new year that we are all being inundated with self-help messages, right? You just do your best. You just be you. You let your true self shine through. But of course, when you try to do things like that, how long does that last? Average New Year's resolution lasts about two weeks. Yippee. Some of you have already forgotten where the gym is, right? <laughs> and that, that's fine by them because you've paid for it already. But We, in our own strength, fail in earthly things very quickly. When we try to do God's work in our own strength, there's no way. You say, you know what? I am going to love my enemies. They say, well, that's wonderful. You know, Jesus said you should love your enemies. That's great. And you say, yep, I'm just going to try my hardest, and I'm going to find things to love about them, and I'm going to do it by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. And of course, what you find out very quickly is you don't have any strength. You don't have the power to do it by yourself. And so what happens? You faint, you collapse. But if we pray always instead, you've got a constant source of prayer power. The, when you think about uh, a electricity, right? why is it that you don't shock yourself on the neutral wire. Well, here's what happens. It does pull electrons off you. There's a positive charge, right? It pulls electrons off you. But it pulls the loose electrons off you, and that's it. When you touch both, hey, now I've got a supply of electrons coming in and a supply of electrons going out, and there's a current going through me, and I'm having a bad day, right? When you go, when you think, okay, I'm going to face life's problems all by myself. You go, you grab onto that neutral wire, of life. <laughs> it pulls off your energy that's loose and you don't even notice it and there's no more. You do not in yourself have the strength to do what needs to be done for God. But the ordinary Christian has the extraordinary power to call down the power of God through prayer. Can you imagine? So, he said, here's the point of the parable. Always pray, don't faint. If you go to sleep at this point, I understand. Um, We have two nursing home services. People are going to sleep on me all the time. But make sure that you remember this. I'm always going to pray, and I'm not going to faint. I'm always going to pray, and I'm not going to faint. The residents do very well, but, you know, some of the helpers that come from the church doze right off. So verse 2, he begins the parable saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. Let's think about these two things. The judge doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about what's right. He doesn't care about justice. He doesn't have any reverence for God. And he doesn't regard man. He doesn't respect people. So if you have a judge who doesn't care about what's right and doesn't care about what's compassionate, doesn't care about people, you're going to have a very wicked judge. The, well, let, let's ponder on this for a second. We know, of course... That this is, a, this is all about prayer. We've read the whole thing. We know the end. Jesus gave away the punchline. So he says, when we go to God, God is not like this judge. How, how is God not like this judge? Well, one, of course, we, we don't talk about God fearing God, but God is holy, holy, holy. Right? God is righteous. God does, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right. God is just and righteous and good. So the things that a judge would be if he feared God, God is perfectly. So you don't have to worry about God doing the wrong thing, God doing a crooked thing. Some people think that God is a crooked judge, right? You've got some problem in your life, and you say, Lord, if you'll just sort this out to me, I'll go to church for, man, three weeks. You know how boring that man is, God. Just, uh, you know, three weeks is a lot. You think you're going to bribe God? You know, some people, you know, of course, you know this, on TV, there are lots of people that tell you you can bribe God, right? If you send your $5 offering in now, we will send you health and wealth and happiness. You're going to bribe God. God is not a magic genie that you rub the side of your Bible and he has to do what you say. He's the sovereign judge of the universe and he will do what is right. But on the other hand, this judge does not regard people. He doesn't care about people, but God does. How do we know God cares about people? You know very plainly, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. uh, Romans 8 says, if he who gave up his own son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If God loves you enough to send his son to die in your place, then he loves you enough to give you what's best for you. He's going to meet your needs. So here we've got a God, a judge. We have the one that we pray to is both just and loving. And sometimes, of course, in our society, we kind of put those uh, in contrast with each other. We say, you know, that person is just so holy. They're so uptight. They just don't care. You know, if you were more loving, then you would tolerate that person's sin. That's not right at all, is it? The Bible says of Jesus, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus was not grace half the time and truth half the time, right? Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. He (laughs) feared God and regarded man. This judge, then, is the very antithesis of what you want in a judge. He has no compassion, no sense of righteousness, well, when we pray, we have a better. Verse 3, And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. Come, help, give me justice against my adversary. Now, when you, I told you already, a widow is completely helpless in the first century. You know, she uh, didn't have a social security check. She didn't have a job. She could do various small things, but not enough to support herself. She was on the mercy of other people. And in this parable, who are you? You are the widow. Before God, you're helpless. You have nothing except what you have received. And so if we need anything, we've got to be willing to come to God and say, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. And say, you know, we are so proud sometimes. It's often the case that there are people who need help and are not willing to ask for it. There are people who need help from other people. There are people who need help from God. You know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. You ask and have not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. (laughs) Imagine how many people need something and don't pray because they think that they have it on their own. Uh, somebody came to uh, E.M. Bounds and said, do you think that we ought to pray about the little things in our life? And he said, Madam, can you think of anything in your life that is big to God? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, if, if you don't bring the little things to God, you won't bring anything to God at all. But the power of God here, the extraordinary, ordinary Christian life, is that God says, I want this helpless person, like a widow, no, nobody to plead your case for you. I want you to come directly to me. The ones that the people of the world might despise and look down on and say, oh, I don't have any interest in you. God says, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come to me. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So we if you ever feel helpless and you feel like you can't do it on your own and you just you need help well congratulations you have gotten a measure of self-awareness which very few people maintain. We never have the power to do things on our own. We are all like the widow, not able to make our own daily provision without the grace of God. So We've got this woman, and she comes to the judge, and she says, avenge me, you know, bring me justice. I can't fight this on my own. Verse 4, and he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. He says, I don't care about justice. (laughs) And I don't care about this lady, but boy, is she annoying. says, I'm just going to give her justice just so that she will leave me alone. You say, wow, that's uh, pretty, pretty miserable. You say, would anybody be like that? <laughs> I actually am. Um, I know enough of you have gone through things like the VA disability or trying to get different kinds of things where you know you just you just apply over and over again until they give in. <laughs> the unjust people of the world have to be beat down. Right? And sometimes people treat God like this. You know... Jesus said, don't pray with vain repetitions as the heathen. Because what they did back then, the uh, ancient people in in the Middle Eastern region, what they would do is they would go and they would pray, and they thought if they prayed the same thing enough times, it would force God to answer their prayer. But you know, God heard you the first time. And it's not if you pray it three times, you're going to beat God down. Or if you pray it seven times, you're going to beat God down. Or if you pray it ten times or a hundred times, you're going to beat God down. God is not like a judge. You know, of course, we, we think of Isaiah. Even the young men shall grow weary and faint. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. But you know, the Lord doesn't grow weary or faint. God doesn't get tired of listening to you. And that means two things. One, it means that on one hand... He doesn't get tired of listening to you, so don't think that by praying the same thing over and over again, you are going to force his hand like a kid throwing a tantrum in a store. On the other hand, when something is on your heart, you don't have to worry about bothering God with it because he's not going to get tired of listening to you. So Jesus' point is not to, you know, only pray about things one time. We know that's the case because uh, Paul prayed three times for three seasons, probably, that the thorn in the flesh would depart from him. It's okay to pray about the same thing more than once. What's wrong is to think that some kind of incantation is going to bow the God of the universe to your will. It's not going to happen. And so this woman here, this widow, has to come over and over and over again. And he says, look, I don't care about what's right. I don't care about her, but she troubles me. So I will give her justice. Lest by her continual coming, she weary me. This is kind of a funny image. That word weary is actually a a term from boxing in Greek. It literally means lest she give me a black eye from beating me down over and over and over again. She says, look, this little widow woman has taken me to the boxing ring and she's just pounding on me. And at first, it didn't bother me, but over and over again, it's really starting to hurt. Some of you were uh, played with a little kid, and the first time they hit you, you think, oh, that's funny, and on and on and on again, and hey, look at that. Wait a minute. That's not funny anymore. There are some people that uh, do that for years. You know, They let their kids hit them and everything, and then they wonder you know, what, they, what they thought was cute when, it was a, when their kid was a baby. When they're eight, is not cute anymore. But you've set yourself up, haven't you? <laughs> you've already kind of caused a problem there. I uh, had a we, well, we, I had a little boy I was talking to at one point who his uh, dad had abused his mom, and he had been able to get by. He was, I guess, six or so, had been able to get by with hitting his mom too. And he just, you know, it was cute to his mom for a while, and he was trying to be like his daddy. And um, but as he got older, he got stronger, right? And uh, I, I told him, you know, that uh, he was that God had trusted him with big muscles, you know, and he needed to use those big muscles God had trusted him with. How God wanted him to use them, and he didn't need to abuse them. He needed to use it right, and uh, he, did, he did better. But we need to know that while that's the case with people. That over time, you know, we can, you know, uh, the water can carve through rock given enough time. That you will never carve through God. You will never beat down God. And you don't need to. That's the marvelous thing about this story. Is that human beings, if you want a human being to do something that you want, you've got two options. One, you either trade them something. You give them something that they need. Or two, you just beat them down with persistence. God does not need anything. Anything he needs, he can make by speaking. right? And you cannot beat down God. So what do we have? Well, if it were not for this extraordinary, ordinary thing, we would be in a real pickle. Because there are some things that we need from God that we have no way to earn and no way to compel him to give us. But out of love, He gives us a way. Let's see, let's see. So, he says, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? He says, look, if even this unjust judge will ultimately do the right thing for the wrong reasons... How much more will God do the right things for his own people? He said, look, you cry out to him day and night. You say, Lord, how long? In the context of this chapter, chapter 17 was talking about the, um, the second coming, and he was talking about the tribulation period and these different things. He says, imagine waiting on Jesus to return, how all of his people would cry out, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. Your people have been praying that for 2,000 years. You say, look, are we going to beat him down by much praying? No. Look at this. He says, we, wonder of wonders, God will avenge his own elect. The widow was right in her cause. That's why she could go to the one who, that's why if the judge had feared God, things would be okay. The widow was helpless. That's why, if she went to one who feared, who respected men, it would be okay. The widow was persistent. But persistence for her was because she did not believe that the judge wanted to do the right thing. When we are persistent in prayer with God, It's because we believe that God hears us. I don't know how to get across to you the full weight of that. But when you pester a human being, you do it with the intention of getting someone to do something they don't want to do. But I can pray to God anytime, and ought to pray to him without ceasing, because I know that he always wants to hear what I have to say. I know that if it's not right, if it's not the right thing, God will not do it because he is the Lord of all the earth. He's just. I know that if it's going to bring harm to me, that he won't answer my prayer because he worked all things together for good to make me like his son. But I also know that he does hear. He says, look, on one hand, will he avenge them? Although it takes a long time, although he bear long with them. You ever prayed about something for a long period of time uh, and wondered, you know, how long, Lord? Like the psalmist. But we have to remember that God is not in the same time frame as we are. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. A day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. We as human beings are all about time. Say, oh, this has got to happen right now. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I get caught up in that mindset all the time. I think, okay, this has got to get done by three o'clock today or whatever. And if somebody walked up to me and asked why, I wouldn't necessarily be able to tell them. <laughs> it's just, I would just, it just needs to get done. You know. It needs to get done. That's more true when I get to drink all of my coffee and I don't spill it. And I'm nice and high strung. But when we think about God, God doesn't care about time in that way. God is all about timing. We want it now, God wants it right. So I, I think the strongest example of this is, of course, the story of Lazarus. From the perspective of time, Jesus was four days late. From the perspective of timing, he was right on time. Came just when he needed to be there. You pray about something, right? You pour your heart out to God about something. You say, Lord, it's too late now. What did um, Mary say? She said, Lord, I know that you can do all things. If you'd been here, you could have saved my brother. Lord, I know that you can do anything. It's too bad that you're too late. Well, wait a minute. If God can do anything, then when he says, Lazarus, come forth, the gates of death are opened. If you really believe that God is the one that holds all things together and makes all things and works all things for his glory, then you know that your prayer does not have to happen in your time. People say, well, you know, people have been saying Jesus is going to come back for a long time. And of course, that's what the Bible says. It says scoffers, you know, faithless people will say, where is the promise of his coming? But look what it says. Look at this verse eight. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. When it happens, it's going to happen. He says, from God's perspective, it's the next thing that'll be. And when it happens, it's done. You see, God always works like this. He says, my people, I will answer your prayer. He says, my people, but I will not do it on your time because you have to remember who God is. (laughs) And as human beings, there is one thing that we are not good at remembering. That's who God is. A lot of times we seem to think that we're God. We say, we we, instead of god has a plan we say well i've got a plan instead of god's going to work it out we say i'm going to work it out Uh, one of my favorite little sayings lately is uh we always have the attitude my stupidity got me into this mess and my stupidity is going to get me out of it that's not how it works we come to god and say you are the judge You are the one that is just. You are the one that is kind. So I will pray always and I will not faint. I will not lose heart. There's there's a profound double meaning here. On one hand, we pray so that we will have the strength to do the things that God has called us to do. Because if you're going to be an extraordinary, ordinary Christian, God will call you out of your comfort zone. God does not have any, any use for us only doing the things that we're comfortable with. Can you imagine? We come to God and say, okay, God, I'll do this and this and this, but I won't do this. I know some people who have gone to their former employer and said things like that. Like, you know, I'll do this and this and this and not this. But the key thing is former employer. Right? You, you try that with your boss. You say, okay, boss, you know... Um, I actually, I know somebody who quit their job and uh, an adult, uh, a middle-aged person, and uh, somebody asked them later, well, why did you quit your job? And she said, they kept telling me what to do. (laughs) Yes, they did, you know. (laughs) But when we come to God, sometimes we're like that, aren't we? We go and we dictate our demands. Say, you're not going to tell me what to do. That's the very convenient thing about uh, being, uh, about people who deny the inerrancy of the scripture. They say, you know, well, you can believe some things in the Bible and not others. You say, wow, that's interesting. say, well, how do you pick which things still apply and which things you don't have to believe? Well, I just know. So I get to believe the things that I want to believe and don't believe the things I don't want to believe, right? You try that with your boss. You say, okay, well, you know, I know you told me to do these three things, but two of them, I feel like they didn't really apply today. This one I really wanted to do, so I went ahead and did that. Well, good luck. You know, if, you're, uh, if your kid came to you and you said, okay, I want you to go to your room, I want you to clean your room, I want you to come and eat your dinner, and then I want you to go to bed. And then three hours later, you find them and their room's a mess, and you say, what's going on? You say, well, you know... I ate my dinner, uh, so one out of four is not bad. You know, I did that thing. Listen, if you do what you want to do and don't do what you don't want to do, then you're God, not God. Right? If you pick God's commands and say, I like this one and not this one. I like this one and not this one. You're God. Um, Augustine said... uh, If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you do not like, it is not the Gospels you believe but yourself. If I get to break the Bible up and say, well, this is for me and this is not for me and this is for me and this is not for me, then I'm the one writing the Word of God. But I'm not God. I'm not qualified to write the Word of God. So here we know that from cover to cover, the Bible is trustworthy and true. And that when God says things like, man ought to pray always and not to faint, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you, he means it. So when we come, we pray. And we pray, one, we lean on the character of God. Now, let me, let me read, this, read this next verse. I'm sorry. He says, I tell you, he will avenge him speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. That word faith, the Greek word pistis, has got a double meaning. It can mean faith, like I believe, and it can mean faithfulness. The primary way that comes out is I can have faith because God is faithful. But in prayer, it comes out a little differently. I can be faithful in prayer because I have faith in God. When Jesus comes back, will he find anyone faithful in prayer? Will he find anyone who's held out the line? I read a story about a missionary who went to South America and he told the church that was sending him, he said that we will come, we will go to this place and we will reach these people with the gospel as long as you promise to hold the rope. Remember to pray for us. Man went down to South America, was there for a number of years and things started to go downhill. They had no success. And eventually his wife and his child died. And he, very sick, came back to the United States and snuck into the back one Wednesday night of the church that had sent him out having their prayer meeting. He sat through the entire service and at the end of it stood up and said, I come to you dying and my wife and child are dead. And now I know why. I sat through this entire meeting and you promised me you would hold the rope and you didn't pray a single time. That's apparently a true story. When we pray, we have the opportunity to move the hand of God. Now, I've got to give this to you very quickly. If God's going to do what's right, and he knows what's the right thing, and he knows what we want, why bother praying? you know, why should prayer change things? Of course, the Bible says that prayer does change things. Sometimes people try to explain that away, right? They say, well, you know, prayer is not about changing things. Prayer's about changing me. Well, that's great. Yes, I want you to change yourself through prayer. But I also want you to know that the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened And you. Seek and you shall find. So how does this work? You know, the Bible actually says that prayer changes things. I want you to imagine God looks out at the score sheet of the universe. And there's somebody who's sick. And right now, he knows that if they die, then in, it's going to bring some people to the awareness of their own mortality. It's going to bring some people closer to him. The grief is going to rearrange some people's priorities. And he says, right now, this person dying is slightly better in the grand scheme of things than this person being healed. And now you come and you pray. And now to the balance sheet of healing this person, God says, look, I'm going to increase this person's faith. I'm going to glorify myself. I'm going to increase the faith of the other people they tell. And now, because you prayed, the world is a better place for God answering your prayer. Sometimes that's not true. Sometimes, you know, your prayer is not enough to balance the scales and God's sovereign and he does what's right. But sometimes your prayer brings you, God's development of you into the equation. So God actually answers prayers. He knows, he always does the perfect thing But sometimes you praying changes what the perfect thing is. James says you have not because you ask not. Sometimes you pray in the wrong way or for the wrong reasons, right? You ask and you have not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. But that's like a kid throwing a tantrum in the store. If um, you're taking a kid into the store and they see a chocolate bar they want, and you were about to buy that chocolate bar for them, and then they throw themselves on the ground and they start flailing and everything... You were about to give them that chocolate bar, but do you know what just happened? Not anymore. Say, I'm not going to teach you to act like that. You come to God and you pray with no faith. You come in selfishness and God says, I'm not going to teach you to act like that. (laughs) Prayer is a way of developing your relationship with God. It's a way of changing things according to God's will, but it's a way of aligning your heart with God's heart. And yet... It is so easy for us to lose faith. It's so easy for us to lose heart. So I've been praying about this and it just seems like nothing's changing. How many times have you prayed about something and it happened? And then in the back of your mind, you wondered, well, maybe it would have happened anyway. We lose faith so easily. We lose heart so easily. So when the son of man comes, if Jesus showed up now in this church, right here, right down the middle, would he find a praying people in this building or not? Would he find people who were faithful to him because they were faithful to pray, who were able to stand by him because they had the strength to pray or not? Because God will avenge speedily. So very, a, couple, a couple quick principles. One, this woman prayed to the judge. She asked for what was Right. We ought to always temper our prayers with not my will, but thine be done. We want what's right. Two, this woman came helpless. When we pray, we need to recognize that we are throwing ourselves on the mercy of God. Three, this woman came with standing. She had a right to come to this judge. And here's where something very interesting happens. She as a citizen had a right to go to this judge. You on your own do not have a right to go to God. You're a traitor. You're a rebel. What we know is that Jesus came and Jesus died. He died for our sins to make a way for us to go to God. Jesus knowing that on our own, our sins separated us from our God The arm of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save. We know that Jesus knew that we couldn't approach God. But he knew that if he died, he could be the mediator. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. That's why when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Now, what I want you to know is that God will sometimes graciously answer the prayers of people who are not Christians. But do you know that if you're not a Christian,